The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Beauty is a unique industry, one that's glamorous and intensely personal. It makes products like any other, cosmetics, hair care, and perfume. Yet these items can be more than accessories. For some, they become part of your identity. Of course, the saying goes, beauty is only skin deep. But the industry is now holding up a mirror to our changing world in terms of what we want and the environmental impact of how it's made. On this episode of Leaders with L'Aqua Goes Green, I head to Paris to meet the man in charge of the world's largest beauty company, L'Oréal. Nicolas Hieronymus describes himself as a beauty junkie, overseeing more than 80,000 employees over 150 countries. The beauty market is worth hundreds of billions of dollars, with L'Oréal at the top of the tree. In a wide-ranging interview, I tried to get beneath the veneer to understand the man, the company, and its efforts to help the most beautiful thing of all, our planet. Nicolas Yarnouis, thank you so much for joining us on Leaders. Hello, Francine. Very nice being with you. I mean, this is fun. It feels glamorous. Do you love your job? I love my job. You know, I've been uh, working for L'Oréal for 36 years now. So I guess uh, it's a uh, perfect proof that I love it. So do you remember that first day when you joined L'Oréal? Did you think, actually, I want to get to the top and to... Why was it your company? Well, I remember my uh, my first interviews uh, because I was interviewing with many uh, you know consumer good companies, and I I chose L'Oréal uh, not because I knew much about beauty at the time, uh, even though I I liked the importance of of, of looks and style, but I, I was struck by the fact that there was an atmosphere of art and creativity in this in this big hall. We are L'Oréal was a, uh, the owner of the Art Curial Gallery, and there were lots of uh, Art pieces uh, in the in the uh, in the hall uh, and lots of you know glamorous people and it felt like a very exciting place to to work with. Um, I didn't absolutely did not intend or even think of uh, rising to the top. I just uh, thought I was uh, here to learn and Laurel is a great school. How has the beauty industry actually changed in the last thirty six years? Is it more high end? Has it become bigger? We talk about men a lot more. Well, uh, first of all, you know, the great thing about beauty is that uh, since the dawn of time, it is an essential need for humanity. You, you look at, you know, I don't know if you ever saw that book we published, that's 100,000 years of beauty. When you see that in the caves, you could see uh, paintings of makeup on, on, on the bodies. Uh, of course, in Egypt, uh, men and women were already using uh, eye makeup and fragrances. So uh, this, because of this, because it's so much part of, of being a human, uh, it's a market that's been constantly growing. So it's a market that's 270 billion uh, euros, and it's, it's, it's growing. And our, our uh, assessment is that by, 2030, by 2030, it should be close to 400 billion. And it's growing th thanks to uh, you know, the rise of middle classes that are aspiring to great products. It's premiumizing. People want more and more good products, so the prices are going up. And indeed, um, it's for everybody. So of course, m women, but men are using more and more beauty products. Uh, people that get old 
need to continue to uh, use beauty products. So it starts very early and, and you use beauty till the end of your life. So it's a very dynamic market and it's going to, going to continue to grow in the, in, the, in the next years. But if it's lucrative and it grows, it also means you're going to have a lot more rivals. We are the leaders of that market, but we have only 14% approximately of the market, which means that we still have 86% to conquer, at least some of it. There is more competition. There's lots of brands. One of the things that has changed over the years is that some of the barriers to entry, like you know, with the rise of e-commerce or social networks, has allowed many uh, brands to, to appear, to be created, many uh, indie brands, as we call them, plus big groups. There's a lot of churn in, uh, in uh, the indie brands, so not many appear, few stay. Uh, and the good thing is that it forces companies like us with our big brands, but also small brands, because we acquire some of these indie brands, to constantly reinvent ourselves, uh, adapt to the new times. We are a very agile company. You have pretty formidable competitors. You have Hermès entering the market of beauty. You have LVMH also really trying to focus on that. Well, there's a lot of competition and lots of people that want to enter beauty, which proves that it's a very uh, lucrative, as you say, an attractive market. But then it's, uh, it's a market that requires a lot of expertise. You know, we only do beauty and we've been doing beauty for 114 years. Uh, and uh, there are more than tricks of the trade. It's about research, it's about knowing the skin, knowing about hair. It's also about understanding the cultural differences around the globe, because you can have global brands, but you always have to adapt your beauty offering to the local specificities, whether climate, religion, culture. And, and this is something that you, do, that you do not improvise. And by the way, many of the brands that are created, small brands have a very hard time expanding beyond their home market. And as far as the, as the big groups, they are very strong competitors, uh, but we are getting share every year. So I guess uh, we are doing a bit better. What will grow the most? Well, right now and for the last couple of years, uh, and probably for the next couple of years, the fastest growing uh, division has been dermatological beauty because there's a, a very strong uh, uh, desire for healthy beauty. Uh, products that are both safe, that are solving your skin issues, and uh, you know whether because of the environment, because of uh, of the UV rays, because of stress. There's lots of uh, skin issues that need to be uh, addressed by products that are designed by and with dermatologists and prescribed by dermatologists. So brands like CeraVe or La Roche-Posay are just you know going through the roof. So but it's also influencers, right? Yeah, it's influencers, but influencers, you know, in the end, uh, they're they're a new way. Uh, to uh, engage consumers, but influencers, of course, they can be remunerated, but in the end, uh, most of the organic content and the most powerful content is sincere and genuine and consumers want authenticity. So influencers are just a way to amplify the quality of the product. So dermatological beauty, super strong, uh, but also uh, L'Oreal Lux for the last decade, I had the pleasure to, uh, to be running this, this division, has been really the number one growth driver of the groups uh, with the acceleration in China in particular, where we have more than 30% market share of the luxury market. And that's bigger margins? Uh, it's bigger margins. margins. The success is the success of quality. In the end, uh, in this world where people are, uh, have growing expectations, sometimes in, inflation, in inflationary times like this one, they pay more attention to how they spend their money and they want their money's worth. So they're always going to go for products that deliver uh, both on efficacy but also on pleasure uh, of use. And as we 
As you know, we spend 1 billion euro every year on research. Uh, we make sure that we do create uh, the best products and that when people try our brands, they, they stick to it. So that's the number one recipe of our success. I mean, there's also the lipstick index, hmm? which I've always been fascinated by. So in, in hard economic times, actually the sales of lipsticks go up. The lipstick index proves right every time and yeah. it has proven right uh, even in the uh, so is it going up uh, or post covid down? no it's going up okay. it's going up it continues to to the only moment when it was actually not a good uh, moment for lipstick is when we're all wearing masks uh, all staying home uh, or both uh, so now that masks are off in most countries people wore perfumes didn't yeah. they fragrance is the most spectacular post covid uh, acceleration we, we expected fragrance to come back because just of social life uh, uh, resuming, but we see that there's been an, uh, an augmentation of the role of fragrance, uh, precisely about this from, s from smelling good to feeling good. And today, whether in, in America, in Europe, and of course, and we're very interested in China, there's a, a fragrance explosion. And as we are the worldwide number ones in fragrance, we are very happy about this. If you're Mediterranean, it, it's, uh, I guess, more likely that you grow up wearing a fragrance, mm -hmm. maybe every day, maybe from, from teenage years. Are there parts of the world where actually, that, you know, that's only starting to be adopted now? And is that really the market you want to be in? People used to have one fragrance. My mother, I offered her all the fragrances of the L'Oréal group. I never managed to get her to use something else than a, a, a fragrance which is actually not a L'Oréal one. So a lot of people were wearing the same fragrance all their life. Now the younger population, they have two, three, four, five fragrances because they will have one for, uh, for work, one for, to meet the parents, one to, for, to go on a date, etc., etc. So that increased consumption. But the part of the world where it's new and growing very fast is China. Uh, China was not a fragrance market. It was mainly a skincare market and then a makeup market. And fragrance, which is still only 10-ish uh, percent of the total selective market, but is growing high double digits. And that's really been uh, uh, something that's happened over the last three, four years. And, and as the Chinese consumers are both sophisticated and like premium, but also they do not know fragrances as, as well as European consumers, they go more for the uh, premium and collection, what we call collection fragrances, which are more expensive, but also that describe what you're gonna smell. And, and, but this has to be in store. Yeah. Do people actually buy it online? They go to stores, uh, they try, they smell, they get you know, some advice. And then, depending on the experience, either they come back to stores or they, yeah. re they repurchase online. If they, if they like a fragrance, then it's easy to repurchase it online. Coming up, Nicolas Hieronymus explains the importance of trying every single product that L'Oréal makes, as well as a few from his competitors. Nicolas Hieronymus has spent nearly four decades working at the biggest beauty company in the world, L'Oréal. The industry is surprisingly resilient, but the company takes nothing for granted, spending around 1 billion euros in research and development every year. I ask him about the changes he's seen and the key to prolonged success. You, you seem to love your products. I love my products. Do you try them all? I try them all. I try my products. I try competition just to make sure we 
have the best and sometimes you know we see an interesting competitive products that we have to uh, to step up to but most of the time I use our products yeah I, I how use much do you use them for I mean this is very practical advice but to, to know whether a product works or not is it two weeks three weeks do you have to give it like I a use couple of months? I use my products every day and in any product it depends on the categories but you you have you have two ways to assess a product one is what we call instant gratification so do you do you like does it? Make, do you like, like it? Does it smell yeah. good? Does it make your your skin more more supple uh, uh, or less itchy if you've got a, 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 an issue? And then you need usually uh, you need six weeks. If you're talking about anti-aging products, you probably would need six weeks to to see real you know wrinkle reduction or age spot reduction. Uh, so you have to, and you have to Hello, use several. You're, you're like a beauty junkie. I am are a you? beauty junkie. Uh, you know, I, I, I run the uh, number one beauty company in the world, and uh, so I have to be a beauty junkie. And it, but it's fascinating because it's, um, uh, you know, I guess you you use beauty products. It's a it's a very nice little treat that you, t you take care of yourself every day. It's we talk a lot. We talk a lot about self betterment today. Uh, people are very much into fitness, into you know making sure they. They look better, feel better, and and beauty products are really part of that of that routine and that spirit. So I, I love it. And and male skincare has actually come quite a long way. Was that the biggest support? What's been your biggest surprise of how I guess beauty's changed in the last ten years? What's the biggest transformation uh, happening in beauty is what we call beauty tech, is the. Uh, the help of technology to augment the performance of beauty products, either through diagnosis or through even personalized made-to-measure beauty products. And that's probably the future of beauty. So is, it, is this AI? You spend an enormous amount right, of your sales in marketing, but also developing like R&D. Yeah. I think 30%. Well, more we, or less. We, we, we spend uh, 1 billion in R&D, 3% of our turnover in different, uh, uh, you know, a and P advertising and promotion. It depends in the, on the countries, but it's somewhere between 25 and 35 percent, depending on the on the countries and the number of categories we have to animate. But we also spend more than one billion euro every year in tech, in technology, and that's where that's our pledge to uh, become the leader of of beauty tech. And and here we, we indeed we use AI. Uh, we use AI to uh, augment our our researchers to uh, invent new ways to formulate uh, products of, to go faster. Uh, we use AI to uh, indeed to have to provide the best advice yeah. to so consumers. Color matching, color, color matching, skincare, skincare diagnosis is very important. In the end, you know, consumers are passionate about beauty. You know, beauty is the number one topic of conversation on TikTok, for example. Uh, it's something that that passions people, but. It's a jungle out there. There's so many products, so you need to help people choose. So curation is a very important part, and to to help people make the right choices, you need some sort of either diagnosis or uh, virtual try-on, so that they see which which shades are gonna fit better. Same for hair. So technology is a great help, not only to create new products, but also to make consumers happier about the products. So how does it fit with, with something like Aesop, which you, you buy, you know, you bought for a significant amount of money, but expect to grow it much more, which is much more traditional high-end premium brand? 
I think it's a brand, and of course, it's a brand that's a natural uh, ingredients-based brand, so uh, it taps into many of the ascending trends. So it's a beautiful brand, fantastically uh, developed by the teams that are in charge and whom we're going to be welcoming at L'Oréal, and, uh, and, uh, and a great experiential brand. So I'm very, very excited about it. And as it's a brand that just has two stores in China and is not present in travel retail, we have lots of growth opportunities for it. So you, you really try the products or use the products before any acquisition? Of course. I, I try I try the product. Actually, as, as far as Aesop was concerned, I tried it before there was even a, uh, a possibility to acquire it. But yeah, we, we, you have to try the products. We're, of course, beyond trying when we make any acquisition, we have the formulas analyzed by our, our, our labs, making sure that they are both uh, you know, good products, that they are true to what they say, which is not always the case from some, for some of the indie brands, and that they are ticking all the regulatory uh, boxes, ing uh, you know, ing uh, authorized ingredients. And then, of course, we try it because... Uh, yeah, you need to know. You need to know, and then and, and you need to love uh, the brands you work for. And what kind of leader are you? How would you define yourself? How would others define you? I'm a competitor. I love sports, uh, and uh, and I, I you know I'm, I try to be demanding for myself and demanding for everybody because we have you know big goals to achieve. Uh, being number one and increasing our gap with competition is not that easy, so you need to be uh, really passionate about it. And I would say I'm uh, I believe a lot in the power of of the team. I'm a, I'm a I believe in the collective. Uh, you know, for all my youth, I was doing uh, collective sports, and today I'm a passionate cyclist. And uh, some people think cyclist cyclism or biking is a is a solo sport, but actually, if you watch the Tour de France, you'll see it's a, it's really a team sport where you have to protect yourself from the wind, uh, help each other. So I I like to build teams that are complementary, empower them. I I listen a lot to what my teams have to say and build complementarity. So I like to surround myself with very strong people that may be stronger than I am in, some, in their particular area. And uh, we work together really at, uh, at making this, uh, uh, this great company continue to, to succeed. So what do you think is, is the secret sauce of L'Oréal to you know, always keep this competitive advantage? Well, I think you know, if I take the top 300 managers of L'Oréal, their average tenure is 18 years in the company. So you have this very strong corpus of people that share the same passion and the same way to do business. We constantly bring in new people, even at higher level, to rejuvenate the, the blood. But we have, the, we have this very strong uh, culture. And this, it, it's it, indeed the secret sauce uh, is this, uh, at all level, you have very passionate, uh, competitive uh, people that love beauty and that have fun. I think part of the secret is that we have fun. Coming up, Nicolas Hieronymus on the challenges of going green, including the company's target to use 100% recycled plastic by the end of the decade. Nicolas Hieronymus oversees a vast portfolio of beauty products with a constantly changing landscape of science and environmental demands. He tells me how L'Oréal is reacting to the climate crisis and how the challenge is reshaping what it means to be a chief executive. Nicolas, you talk about this big sense of purpose. What does that mean for sustainability? 
Uh, we started working on sustainability topics in the early 2000s. We had our first uh, uh, Sharing Beauty with All program uh, in uh, 2013, and, and, and that led us to reduce our, uh, um, our CO2 emissions by 90% whilst increasing our production by 45%. So we've really managed to decouple uh, CO2 emissions from growth. So we are, of course, uh, enticing and uh, uh, stimulating our suppliers who also need to do their, uh, uh, their sustainability transformation to do it as fast as possible because they are our impact. But also we are investing to, uh, uh, to help consumers uh, contribute because in the end, uh, for example, if you talk about packaging or plastic, the best way to reduce uh, plastic is, is to convert as many consumers as possible to refills. And all, so our recycling. New all our new fragrances, you probably saw the new Prada Paradox, uh, which is a great success, by the way. You, you, there is the fragrance, but then you can buy refills, which are much lighter in, in glass and packaging, so you keep your original bottle. And today, 25% of our Lux portfolio is refillable. So now it's about convic uh, you know, uh, convincing consumers to change. We're also uh, launching products that are uh, non-rinsed uh, products to, uh, to avoid uh, water consumption. And we are in our advertising again, trying to convince consumers to reduce their water consumption. So it's across the whole supply chain, we have to act. So What's uh, the hardest? Yeah, well, the, the, there are many, uh, many things that are difficult. Uh, for example, if I take uh, plastic, uh, we've, uh, we've committed to have 100% uh, uh, recycled plastic uh, by uh, 2030. Today, the availability of recycled plastic is not uh, big enough for us to transform everything. We have 80% of our PET, but for, for other parts of the plastic, it's not yet available. So we are co-investing and, and we are investing with our, with our own uh, VC in, uh, in new technologies that will provide ways to recycle plastic. So some things have not been made available yet technologically. Uh, technologically, but I guess uh, I believe in uh, human creativity and innovation that provide us will provide us for solutions. But packaging is one, uh, is one issue. Uh, and uh, of course, we, we work uh, continuously on, on water, uh, both on our own consumption, but that's kind of, I mean, quite easy to do, but also on, uh, on changing consumers' habits. Is there a segment of the consumer that's more in tune with, with maybe buying products that seem greener? Well, the younger generations uh, are more, uh, of course, uh, uh, pay more attention to sustainability. Uh, and so they are looking at brands that are, that are greener, uh, the, you have, but you have to make sure you're authentic because they hate green greenwashing. But what is uh, very important to remember is that none of them, whether they're young or not, will ever sacrifice product quality and efficacy to sustainability, which is why, you know, part of the big transformation of our uh, RNI, where you know, there's this billion euro we spend uh, every year, most of it is is spent on transforming our formulas uh, from petrochemicals to uh, uh, biosourced ingredients and green sciences, but without losing the efficacy. And I think that in the future, if we talk about competition. Uh, the winners will be, and it's very difficult to achieve, those who can create products that are both green, yeah. effective, and safe. I know how hard it is, so I don't think many that do not invest so much in research will manage to do it. Where will you be in, in five years? Where will L'Oréal be in five years? Well, uh, you know, in five years, if uh, 2030, uh, let's talk 2030, I, you know, the, the market should be uh, maybe 380 or 90 uh, 
billion uh, euros. So uh, L'Oréal, I, I hope that L'Oréal will be uh, uh, above 60 billion euros and, uh, and continue, continuously uh, growing. But more importantly, uh, in the end, you know, I consider that my role, of course, is to grow the business. But I, I, it's a legacy. I'm the sixth CEO in 114 years. And uh, my objective is to leave the company uh, in even greater shape than it was. And maybe one of the things that have changed, if I could end with that, is that probably, you know, a couple of years ago, being a CEO was about beating the others. It was winning the game against the others. We still have to gain and to win and to win share. But more and more, we have to work. And that goes back to, it ties back to the collective idea. We have to work together. And uh, I, I like the idea that sometimes I take my phone and I will call the CEO of, uh, of one of, or two of our competitors to work together at creating solutions for the world. We've launched this consortium to create the EcoScore, mm -hmm. which will be an international standard for products in, in terms of how sustainable they are for consumers to be able to make the right choices. And I like when we, as an industry, be, we not only make sure we make people look good, feel better, but also we work together having positive impact on the planet. Nicolas Hieronymus, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Francine. It was a pleasure. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.